Well, today is the, the third week in a series that we are calling Hitting a Wall. And we've been talking about uh, all the walls that we face in life and, and how they relate to our faith. And so the, the first week we talked about kind of defining a wall. And it could be anything that, that stops us in life, stops us in our tracks. It could be an illness. It could be a broken relationship. It could be failing a class. It, it could be a season of depression. It could be job, job loss. It could be infertility. There's, there's really as many possibilities as there are people. And we talked about how even as we face a global pandemic, it's like a global wall that we're all facing together. And at the same time, it's impacting everybody differently. Of course, you've got the people who've lost their lives. You've got people whose friends and family have passed away. But you also have people who are facing other health issues and maybe sometimes aren't able to get the care that they need because of the emphasis on what we're going through as a world. You've got people who've lost their jobs. You've got people who don't know what to do with all the work that they have that this has caused. You've got people who've lost hope. You've got people who've lost confidence in our leaders. See, the same wall can impact every person differently. And so we we talked about those things the first week. Then the last week, last week, the second week, we talked about how, well, God doesn't always create the circumstances that lead up to a wall. Uh, Sometimes he does. Sometimes it's our own free will. We we sin, and that has consequences, or, or other people make mistakes, and it has consequences on us. But regardless of how it comes to us, God knows it's coming. He knows everything about us. He knows every hair on your head, which I always say is not impressive coming from me, but it is for some of you. He knows every day you're going to lead. He knows every wall that you're going to come up against in your life. And because we know that, we know that he's also using the experiences in our past to prepare us for what's to come. And I, I encourage you, if you're looking for hope in the midst of a season up against the wall, just very simply pray to God and say, God, would you show me the different ways in which you've prepared me for what I'm facing right now? Are there, there are other walls that I've faced? Are there other lessons in life that I've learned? And, and you will find that there are. And it brings hope to know that God is with us in the midst of what we're facing right now. And so that's what we talked about last week. And then this week, what we're going to talk about is something that I think is, is almost universal when it comes to facing a wall in our lives. And it's the tension between our timing and God's timing. It's the tension between our timing and God's timing. Psalm 90 verse 4 says this about God's timing. A thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. Now, if you're in church this morning, you're watching from home, my guess is you already know that our timing isn't God's timing. Right? You probably already know that. The problem is that even if a thousand years is like a day in the eyes of God, it still feels like a thousand years to us, doesn't it? It still feels like a really long time. Just, just think about it. We struggle to wait for just about anything these days. I was thinking about this recently when, when my kids, we, we'd take them on a treat to go through like a fast food restaurant for drive through Normally we've got four kids, so we go to McDonald's because it's cheap. But every once in a while, it, it's a celebration maybe, it's a special treat, so we'll take them to Culver's. And almost every time we do, they ask me, Dad, why do we have to wait for them to cook our food? Like normally, we go to McDonald's, they just hand it through the window. And as you get older, it doesn't change. 
change, right? Like, think about many of us who had this experience this past Christmas. How many of you sent a card or sent a, a package or received something in the mail that was later than you expected this year? Anybody? Show of hands. A lot of us have. Impatience is a universal experience, and I think it's maybe no more apparent than when we are up against a wall, isn't it? I mean, our first instinct when we come up against something is to try to get through it or past it or away from it as quickly as possible. If you get sick, what do you want? You want to get better, and you want to get better right now. If you have to have tests done to find out what's wrong, you don't want to wait for the test results to come in. You lose your job, you want to know where the next job is going to come from. If you're fighting with your spouse, then you want an immediate resolution, and we all have different solutions to that, right? Like maybe your personality is to force the conversation, and it's premature because you just want to get through it. Maybe, maybe your style is to stuff it down and pretend like it doesn't matter, but all of it is our impatience. And we can all relate to this, and we can relate to the fact that sometimes, no matter what we do, no matter how we force our own strength, you can't force your own timeline. The test results that you need from your doctor take time to come in. Maybe the person that you're fighting with isn't ready to forgive you yet, and it's in their court to do it. God's timing isn't our timing. And that leads us to the reading that we're reading this morning. Our scripture reading is from the Gospel of John, and it's about a man named Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Now, these are very close friends to Jesus. So close that if he's in town and he needs a place to go, he doesn't even have to ask. They might show up at home and he's already sitting on the couch eating a sandwich that he made by helping himself to the refrigerator. Like this is how close they were. There was a, a commentator that I read when I was studying this passage this week that said it this way. He said, there was a house of peace with three children of peace where the prince of peace went in and out as a friend. You're going to see in the first five verses of just the reading we're going to read today that John mentions the love that Jesus has for these people twice. These are people that Jesus can let his hair down with. I don't know why I'm using all the hair references today. <laughs> it's making me feel bad. Anyway, so, so with that, so you got this idea. Let's, let's begin with John chapter 11, beginning at verse 1. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the town, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Now, you got to notice something here. There's some assumptions that the author is making about what you know as you're about to read this story. Uh, you've got this special mention of Mary. Mary and Martha, sisters of Lazarus. If you're not familiar, there's a couple other stories in the Gospels about these women. Like, for example, there was the time that Jesus went and stayed with Martha and Mary. Remember that story? And Martha ran around and did all of the work while Mary sat at the feet of Jesus, and they had this open relationship, right? They, were, they loved each other, and so Martha just told Jesus exactly what she was thinking, said, Jesus, will you tell my sister to help me, right? And Jesus said, Martha, Martha. See, he loved her. Said, Martha, you're worried about a lot of things. There's only a few things that are needed. Actually, there's only one, and Mary has chosen the one thing. Remember that story? 
If you don't, now you know. So that's, that's, that's Mary and Martha. There's another story that if you were reading the Gospel of John, you would have at this point in time, you would have probably already heard of before. And it was the story of the time when Jesus came to Mary and Martha's house and Mary poured expensive perfume on Jesus' feet. Now, this wouldn't make sense to those of us who live in the world we live in today, but in Jesus' day, when you walked into a home, like washing your hands, you would have your feet washed, and if somebody else was going to do it, it would probably be the lowliest of servants. But they didn't use perfume, they used water, and she used perfume. Perfume was expensive. Perfume was used for celebrations or for burials, and she had no idea just how that was a, a foretaste of what was to actually come, but she used perfume, and she poured it on Jesus' feet. And then instead of using a cloth or a towel to dry them off, she used her own hair. And these are both important things for you to know because they represent the faith that Mary had in Jesus. She sat at the feet of Jesus, right? Sat at his feet. She poured out everything to him, even her own humility. And John wants you to know all of that. He wants you to know the depth of Mary and her faith and Martha and Lazarus as they come to Jesus and ask him for help to get through the wall of their brother Lazarus' illness. Look at verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, the sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, just as a reminder, this whole series where this all came about was, was we're trying to understand where's God at work in our walls. When we're up against the wall in our faith, where is God? Like, like, what's he doing, even when we can't see it? And the first thing we're going to learn, we're going to learn three things from this story. The first thing we're going to learn from our reading today is that God is bringing glory to our walls. God is bringing glory to our walls. God's glory is shining through our pain, our trials, our weaknesses. Why? Well, because those are moments where God is the only one that can carry us through them. And that's what we're about to see as we continue. Verse 5, now, Jesus loved, remember again, second time, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that Lazarus was sick and they wanted his help, he stayed where he was for two more days. Now, I always stop at that part. Lazarus is terminally ill. You know how deeply Jesus loves this family. They ask for his help, and he waits two days. So I'm going to try this when I get home this afternoon. I'm going to tell my wife, Alyssa, she wants me to vacuum. I'm going to say, you know what? I love you so deeply, I'll vacuum on Tuesday. How do you think that's going to work? <laughs> Some of you don't look back at Alyssa's face. <laughs> Probably not going to communicate the depth of my love for her. What's going on here? He delays his journey by two days. Why does Jesus wait? Well, here's why. Because God's timing isn't our timing. God's timing isn't our timing. And I was thinking about this this week. Most mornings, 
I drive my boys, our older boys, Jake and Evan, we drive them to school every morning, and it never seems to fail that, that the later I'm running, the more likely it seems like there's somebody driving slow in front of me. Does anybody else experience this same phenomenon? And I get anxious then. Then I'm like really anxious. Even the other day, the boys even came home and told Alyssa, they're like, dad said that we'd be on time. He kept talking about it the whole way, and then we were late. <laughs> I was anxious, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking, what is it? Like, what, what makes me anxious? And here's the truth. I haven't done any, like, hard research on this, but my guess is that there's just as many slow drivers out on the road when I'm late as there are when I'm on time. Like, I, I'm just guessing that's the case. I don't think there's some, some secret system out there that I'm so important that the whole world is against me sending overloaded dump trucks and late school buses every time I'm running late to be in front of me. I don't think that's the way this works. So, so where's the source of my stress? Now, sure, it's, it's stressful to get stuck behind a slow driver anytime, whether you're late or not, but the real anxiety, at least for me, comes when I have this perception that I'm running out of time, that I don't have enough time. And sometimes that's true when I'm sending my kids to school and I'm late. But here's what we're going to learn. It's not true when you're asking God to heal your brother. It's not true. God's timing is not our timing. And if God is the one to be glorified through the healing of Lazarus, it's going to have to come in God's timing. And that would be really frustrating if you were them. It would be really frustrating if you don't know the rest of this story. And if you've never heard the rest of this story, here's what's going to happen. Lazarus is going to die, and then Jesus is going to heal him. He's going to raise him from the grave. But nobody knows that. They don't know that. And even if somebody said it, they wouldn't believe it. And the truth is, when you're up against your own walls, we don't know what God's going to do with them either, do we? We don't know what the future is going to look like. We don't know how God is going to take care of us. We don't know how this broken relationship is ever going to get restored. We don't know if we're ever going to be able to get over our addiction or our loved one's going to be able to get over their addiction. We don't know how this whole thing is going to end. The disciples didn't either. Mary and Martha didn't either. But that doesn't mean that God is not at work. Look at verse 7. After he said this, he said to his disciples, Okay, Let's go back. After two days, after waiting, let's go back to Judea. And they said, but Rabbi, just a little while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet now we're going to go back? Again, you've got to know the context here. If you go back to chapter 10, you'll see that Jesus is getting quite well known at this point. And not in a good way. The religious leaders want to kill him. In chapter 10, verse 31, they almost stoned him to death. And in order to go back to Lazarus, they're going to have to go through that same region. They're going to have to go by the same people that want him killed. Verse 9. And so Jesus answered. They're worried about this. He said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? Anybody who walks in the daylight will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It is when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. What does this mean? Well, the region of the world that, that we're talking about here, unlike where we live, they, they have roughly the same number of hours in each day, the same number of daylight hours. And so they operated on a 12-hour day. And what Jesus is saying 
is that while your eyes are fixated on the danger, just like my eyes get fixated on the slow driver that's driving in front of me, while you're focused on that, in God's time, there's going to be enough time. But there's going to be just enough time. We've got to go. Verse 11. After he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I am going to go there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he'll get better. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but his disciples thought he meant natural sleep. Now, we kind of get this phrase, right? Maybe you've said it too. Somebody fell asleep. They fell asleep into the Lord. This was a common phrase for them as well. And it's also common for us to experience a similar phenomenon when we're up against a wall. We don't know what's actually happening. We don't see the situation for how serious it actually is. And maybe it's because they really thought that Jesus meant that he's sleeping. Maybe they really thought that, that he was just taking a nap. Or maybe they had a hunch that he really is dead, but they didn't want to believe it. And so they just told themselves what they wanted to hear. When what Jesus meant was that he had actually died. And look at how Jesus responds to their their misconception. Verse 14. Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. He's dead. And for your sake, I'm glad that I wasn't there so that you may believe. But let's go to him. And in this, the second thing that we're going to learn about what God does at our walls is God brings truth to our walls. God brings truth to our walls. Why? Seems kind of blunt, doesn't it? Well, in John chapter 8, Jesus said the truth sets us free. The truth sets us free. And it's natural to avoid the truth, right? It's natural for all of us to avoid the truth. We know this, but we also know that at the end of the day, if we really want to find healing, it's the truth that sets us free. When you go to a surgeon... You've got a physical ailment that requires surgery. Do you want your surgeon to pretend like your body is in a better state than it is? Do you want your surgeon to take out some x-rays of somebody else's insides that aren't broken and pretend like that's you when in reality there's something that's really wrong inside of you that they're intended to heal? No, you would never want that. My wife, Alyssa, she, she was an operating room nurse for eight years, and, and she'll tell you, surgeons, if you've been under the knife at any point, you'll find they typically don't have the best bedside manner. Have you noticed that? And you know why that is? It's not because they're all jerks. It's because their personality is to see the truth for what it is. It's what makes them good doctors, that they're willing to see things the way they are in order to make you well. Well, here's the thing. Healing requires the truth. Healing requires the truth. And when you're up against the wall, God doesn't mess around with you and me either. He wants to make us well, which is why when, he quest- when people question, why is he hanging out with broken people all the time? Why is he hanging out with sinners and tax collectors? This is what he said, Mark 2, 17. He said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I've come to call sinners. Why? Because they already know they're sick. And they're willing to see the truth for what it is. And so Jesus came to make them well. And if that's what you want Jesus to do at your wall, that's what he'll do for you too. When you say to him, Jesus, this is where I'm at. I'm broken. 
I messed up. This relationship is beyond repair in my own power. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know where to go anymore. Jesus spoke the truth to his disciples. He said, Lazarus is dead. Accept that. Because once you accept that, you can then watch me make him well. You're going to watch me make him well. And, And they had no idea what this meant. They had no idea what Jesus was about to do, right? You wouldn't know that either. He's literally dead, and you're going to make him well? What does this even mean? But then Thomas, the disciple that you probably know best as the one who doubts, right? Here's, here's what he should be known for. This incredible moment of faith. He steps out, verse 16. He says to the rest of the disciples, guys, let's go. Let's follow Jesus that we might die with him. Now, he's being a little sarcastic there, but he's also being very serious. He has very little hope and no understanding around what is about to take place. They could die on the way, right? They could get stoned to death on their way there. And now they understand that Lazarus is literally dead, and Jesus said he's still going to heal him. And they have no clue what any of this means. But even with all of that, they're still willing. He's still willing to follow Jesus wherever he goes. It's just crazy, right? That's the depth of his faith. Why? Well, because the third thing we learn at the wall is that God brings new life to our walls. God brings new life to our walls. Look at verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Unbelievable. But remember what we just learned, right? There's three things that God does at the wall. He brings glory, he brings truth, and he brings new life. And he does it every time, every wall we face. And you're going to see all three of them unfold right now as we read the rest of this story. He's about to show us his glory. Verse 24, Martha said, when he said, your brother will rise again, Martha said this, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. It's like somebody saying to you, oh, your loved one's in heaven. I know, I get it, I get it. Jesus said, but no, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. Now, I noticed something. I've read this story many times. And I noticed something for the first time as I read it this week. Notice that Jesus doesn't ask her if she believes that he can heal her brother. Do you notice that? That's not the profession of faith that she makes. And, and, and my only guess is that that's because it's still too much of a stretch for her. And it would be for you and me as well. He's been dead for four days. He's in the tomb. Like there's this just totally out of your mind that anything could possibly happen here. And so what Jesus does instead is all he asks her to do is say, what do you believe about me? Who do you believe I am? All you need to believe is what I am capable of doing, that I am the resurrection and the life, that I am God. And if you affirm that truth, let me take care of the rest. 
Let me take care of what's unbelievable. And that's what happens. Soon after that, Mary comes, says the same thing to Jesus. If, if you had just been here, this wouldn't have happened. And then verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also were weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Remember? Because he loves them. He loves them. And so he says, where have you laid Lazarus? Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how he loved him. And this is where we see the second thing that we learn at the wall, that God brings truth to the wall. How do we see that? Well, because sometimes the truth hurts, doesn't it? The truth hurts. Jesus wept. You know why he wept? Because he loved Lazarus. He really loved Lazarus, and Lazarus really did die. And so Jesus did the most human thing. He cried at the tomb. And being a Christian and following Jesus and looking for God in our walls, I I have to say this, it doesn't somehow prevent us from experiencing the pain either. It doesn't prevent us from experiencing pain any more than it did for Jesus. And I think that's the point that so many people get so angry with God about. We think, we reason that if, if, God, is, if God is really here, then why does it still hurt? If God is really here, then, then why is it still painful? And I don't know about you, but I think at this point, if I'm doing my math right, I've been a Christian now longer than I haven't been. And I would tell you that if anything, I think being a Christian actually makes the pain hurt more. I know that's not a popular sermon to share, but it's been my experience. It makes the pain more real. And so so what's the hope in that? Well, the hope is the fact that if you turn away from God, you're going to hit walls anyway, first of all. And so what's the hope to turning toward God in the midst of our walls? Two things. First of all, Jesus is there at the wall crying with you. And that's no small thing, that, that your God is a suffering Savior that is not above stepping into the pain alongside us. That's the first point of hope. You're not alone in the wall, and not, alo- not only are you not alone in it, not only does God bring glory through it, not only does God show us his truth within it, but God's presence brings new life. Lazarus was dead. He was literally dead. It says his body smelled because it was decomposing. And then this is what happened next. Verse 40, Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone. And then Jesus looked up and he said this, Father, I thank you. I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here that they might believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, and his hands and feet were wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Lazarus was dead. Now he's alive. God brought glory and truth and new life to what seemed like an impossible wall. And so I want to bring it home for you now. Think about you. Maybe even close your eyes right now and allow the Spirit of God to bring to your mind what wall are you facing today? When you walked into church, what is the wall that you're up against? 
After the last service, I prayed with a couple whose, whose sister-in-law has just been diagnosed with stage four pancreatic cancer. That was their wall. What's your wall? What is it that you're up against today? How do you see God's glory being shown through that wall? What truth is he revealing, even if it's painful to hear, even if you've been avoiding it? What is the truth about what you are challenged with in this moment? And where do you need to find new life in him? 2 Peter 3 references Psalm 90 when it says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Verse 15, bear in mind that the Lord's patience means salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, you healed Lazarus in a moment. You healed Lazarus in a moment as a reflection of what you came to do to heal us for all of eternity. Soon after this, if we keep turning the pages in our Bibles, we will see that you will be the one to die. And that it'll be your body that's placed in a tomb. That you will be the one that's wrapped in strips of linen. And three days later, it'll be you that'll rise from the grave. All to bring glory and truth and new life to us and to the world as you ushered in your kingdom will never end. And so, Lord, as we come before you and we face our own walls, would you... Would you give us the faith that we need? The faith that we need to see them the way you do. That we would see the walls that we face as painful as they are, as reflections of the work that you're doing in our lives and in the world around us. That every wall is an opportunity to experience your glory and your truth and your salvation until the day comes when we cross over the threshold of our own death and into the new life that we have in you forever. Help us to to understand that life is a dress rehearsal for that moment. Every moment is a dress rehearsal for that moment, and that is never more true than when we're facing a challenge or a wall that we can only get through by being carried by you. Give us the faith and the hope to invite you into our lives and especially into our pain to do what only you can do to save us. It is for your glory, by your truth, and in anticipation of your new life that we pray in Jesus' name.